0: Good afternoon. This is the eighth video recording of a series of videos, or known as Intro to Lutheranism, uh, where we are basically going through the basics of the the Lutheran teaching, what we believe is Lutherans. And this is designed as a means and a way uh, for people to explore the faith and also kind of an online version to overviewing of the catechism. And so today, what we are going to be talking about in this video is we're going to be talking about the creeds. And so we've gone through the Ten Commandments, we've gone through a lot of the basics. And so the second art, the second chief part of Luther's small catechism is the creed, the Apostles' Creed, particularly. And in the Luther, in the Christian church, not just the Luther Church, in the Christian church there are three ecumenical creeds. There's the Apostles' Creed, there's the Nicene Creed, and then there's the Athanasian Creed. So, you know, here I have uh, Luther's service book. And so the Apostles and Nicene Creed are probably the two creeds that most people will be familiar with. And so here you go. This is out of Divine Service Setting 1. So right there, both creeds are right there. So usually one of those two creeds are professed or confessed um, at many of our worship services, and so especially especially your typical communion service, you'll have um, or typical div- or divine service order, divine service setting one, setting two, etc. There is always um, an Apostles' Creed or a Nicene Creed. Uh, the difference in the so the oldest of the creeds. And what's the newest of the creeds is kind of an interesting question because the Apostles' Creed, the first version of it, is the oldest of it. It was originally known as the Roman Creed. You could find the earliest versions of it um, already in the second century. And creeds were very often written in reaction or response to a false teaching going on around in the church. And so the particular issue that was going on in the church was um, the issue of Gnosticism. So Gnosticism was this theology that believed, taught, confessed that um, the physical world is evil. And so the whole goal of man is to escape the physical world. This is very much the result of platonic Uh, Greek philosophy merging with Christian theology. And so the whole idea was that you escape from the mortal shell. And by the way, you'll find that it's very, very true that Gnosticism is very alive and well in modern Christianity. Uh, If you really start probing a lot of people and asking them um, certain questions about their faith, you'll actually find Gnosticism is very prevalent. Uh, it, but anyways that the the biggest thing in the Gnosticism, the big issue, of the Apostles Creed, which or should say prompted the writing of the Roman Creed, was that there was a belief in Gnosticism that Jesus was indeed God. That was not in debate. The issue was that Jesus was not human. That was what they denied. They said, no, no way would God let himself become. This evil thing that is human. And so they rejected the notion or the idea that God became human flesh. And so this is why if you read the... So this is the earliest version of the Roman Creed. This is why um, the Apostles' Creed... So the Roman Creed, which eventually made up the Apostles' Creed... If you read the second article of the Creed, which is dealing with Jesus, it says, and in Jesus, I believe in Jesus Christ... His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. So I'm just going to stop right there. So there you go. The six words that I have there, all six of those verbs are verbs that are human. Humans are conceived. Humans are born. Humans suffer, humans are crucified, humans die, humans are buried. So this was all designed to emphasize the humanity of Jesus, that he is 100% human. Now, we're going to deal with this more when we get into the second article of the Creed, but I'm just highlighting the differences between these two creeds. The Nicene Creed, So, and by the way, there's one little sentence in the Apostles' Creed that got added late. This is why, technically, the Apostles' Creed is both the first creed, and it's it's the oldest and the newest. It's the newest because there's one little sentence that got added in a bit later, and that was, he descended into hell. And again, we'll talk about that more when we get to the Apostles' Creed. But that was added in a few, quite a bit later. The Nicene Creed, however, the Nicene Creed was written around the time of the Council of Nicaea. And so, the Council of Nicaea, the big issue was the issue of Arianism. And Arianism was arguing that Jesus was. So, they're arguing almost the almost exact opposite here of Gnosticism. So, Gnosticism was saying that he was merely. He was God, but he wasn't human. In Arianism, the opposite problem. They were arguing that Jesus was less than God. And so. This was the big fight to emphasize that he was of the same substance as the Father. And see, this gets reflected in the Nicene Creed. And by the way, this is so, hold on, I'll come back to this. So the Nicene Creed says, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten from his Father being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. So these things right here is all confession of the fact that he was, um, that he is God, that he isn't just a human, he is God in the flesh. And so they wanted very hard in the Nicene Creed to emphasize his divinity. That Jesus was indeed God, and so the third article. Interesting, that's pretty much it. And the reason was was because the only real um, doctrinal issue at hand at that point was um, was the night was the only real doctrinal issue was the. Um, the divinity of Jesus and so that was the big issue that was a big thing that they were trying to protect was that Jesus was and is God um, they didn't really have many issues with the Holy Spirit doctrine of the Holy Spirit so they didn't have they didn't write much on it. so the third article of the creed was very short at first but a few years later um, so the Council of Nicene happened in 325 A.D. Um, so I think it was like 375, 380, something like that, was when they'd have the Council of Constantinople, and that's where they would put in the third ar- article, the creed. And the reason was because was there's issues regarding the Holy Spirit by that point. So technically we don't confess the Nicene Creed. It's a Nicene-Constantinople creed. So there is one other creed. That is in here, and I would try to find it here in my hymnal. Ha! There we go. This is the Athanasian Creed. So it's all this page and this page. Two columns, both sides of the pages. Page 319 and 320 in Lutheran Service Book. It is the lengthier of the um, of the creeds. It's called the Athanasian Creed because, at, for a time, it was believed that this was written by St. Athanasius. So St. Athanasius was, um, was a prominent teacher um, around the time of Nica- the Council of Nicaea again. And so um, everything that's written in here is very reflective of what he believed and taught. But it's not very unlikely, it's not very likely that he wrote it. Uh, it is more likely that it was probably a student of Athanasius. In fact, here's what here's what Luther's service book has about this. It says, early in the fourth century, a North African pastor named Arius began teaching that Jesus Christ was not truly God. The church responded decisively in AD 325 with a statement of faith, the Nicene Creed which confessed that Jesus is, in fact, true God. Toward the end of the 5th century, another creed was written that delved further into the mystery of the Trinity. Though attributed to Athanasius, a 4th century opponent of Arius, this synonymous creed clearly came at a later stage in the debate. The Athanasian decree declares that its teachings concerning the Holy Trinity and our Lord's incarnation are the Catholic faith. In other words, This is what the true church of all times and all places has confessed. More than 15 centuries later, the church continues to confess this truth, confident that the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit has given himself for our salvation. So there's a nice little uh, background on what the Athanasian Creed is. So the word creed literally means faith or belief. And so a creed... Is a state the Athanasian Apostles Nicene? Their statements of faith, their confessions of faith of what we believe as Christians, not just like I said, not just as Lutherans. So, this these creeds are confessed by all Christianity. If somebody does not agree to it, then they're not actually a Christian, and that is what we are confessing. Um, in fact, I think it's very uh, straightforward when you get into the Athanasian Creed. For the last words, it says, well, it begins, it says, whoever desires to be saved must, above all, hold the Catholic faith. Now, the word Catholic simply means universal. This is not referring to Roman Catholic. The Roman Catholic Church as we know it now did not exist when the Athanasian Creed was written. So the Catholic Church, the Catholic faith, is the universal faith. It says, whoever does not keep it whole and undefiled, will, without doubt, perish eternally. And then the very last words of it is, this is the Catholic faith. Whoever does not believe it faithfully and firmly cannot be saved. All right, so it very firmly is telling you that there is no salvation outside of the confession and belief of the one true God, the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so we as Luther, As Christians, believe that there is one God. And this is actually what is confessed through scriptures. Um, I'm going to pull up some scripture here to kind of go with this. The first one I'm going to look up is Deuteronomy. I'm eventually going to get to it. Okay. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4. Hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God, Yahweh is one. You shall love Yahweh, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. So there is, so the very basic confession, there is one God and one alone. But here's the challenge. There's not a lot of debate over over the Creator, God the Father. That there is indeed that first person of the Trinity. That one is not in debate very much. The issues come with the the other two persons of the Trinity. You have Jesus. You know Jesus does things and says things that he is confessing to be God. This this um, so I'm recording this on December thirty first. A week ago, at 6 o'clock, we had a Christmas Eve service. And one of the readings we read was John chapter 1. And in that gospel, the apostle John begins his letter, his gospel, by saying, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then eventually says, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And by the way, the Greek word logos, the way that John is using it, he is using word is more in the terms of not word, it's like words on a page. He means like word as in the source. See, it comes from old Greek philosophy. There is a Greek philosophy. There's a Greek argument. Um, uh, there's a Greek, there's an Aristotelian argument regarding the existence of God, and Aristotle basically made the argument of for the unmoved mover. In other words there is, everything that happens everything that exists has a cause something caused it so for example i have this pen i drop the pen on the on the table something there you could follow a sequence of events that led me to drop that pen on on the on the on the desk you could point to my mindset, oh i need to pick up the de- the pen And so I picked up the pen, and then I dropped it, and I was making a point. And you could point to how I got to that thought. And you could go through, and you trail it all the way through. And the whole argument is, is eventually, as you go through the causes that led to me dropping that pen, you eventually would get to the unmoved movie. you get to the source of all existence. Now, as you go all the way through Adam and Eve, all the way to the source of existence, and this would be the creator, this would be God. And so... This is, um, so that is what the logos is, the word. The, in the beginning was the word. So he's saying in the beginning was the unmoved mover. And so when he's using this phrase, he's using this terminology, he is referring to Jesus as the unmoved mover. Uh, this also comes up in Revelation when he refers to Jesus as the Alpha. The beginning, the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. Again, a claim to Jesus being God. Uh, Jesus, when he is, uh, conf- when he is speaking, he says, and I think, and also in the God's John's Gospel, before Abraham was, I am. He was ascribed to his name himself the name of Yahweh. When he says, "I am Yahweh," that's the name of God, and you know that's the name. You know, if you noticed a little bit ago, I said. I was reading from Deuteronomy 6.4. I said, hear, O Israel, Yahweh our God. If you looked at most of your English translations, it would say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. I automatically translate the Lord into Yahweh because Lord in all caps, that's always Yahweh, the name of God. So Jesus, which says before Abraham was, I am, he was claiming to be Yahweh. Uh, another thing that Jesus would do is he would he would forgive sins. And, you know, the, no, it's not just that he forgave sins that people committed against him. The only person that could ever commit forgive sins, forgive a sin, is the person for whom that sin was committed against. So, for example, if I randomly went up and punched some guy in the face, the only person that could forgive me for punching that guy in the face was the guy who had punched in the face some random bystander can't come by and say, hey I forgive you for punching that guy he has no authority to do that because nothing was sinned, the sin wasn't against him the sin was against the person who I punched and so but Jesus would forgive people every single sin they committed and the only way of, only person that could do that is the person whom every single sin was committed against them namely God. When Jesus forgave sins, he was claiming to be God. And and by the way, the people of the time knew it. So I'm going to use an example of this. This is Matthew, I believe it's chapter nine. Yep, chapter nine. It says, and getting into a boat, Jesus crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. So blasphemy, in case you don't know, the sin of blasphemy is the sin against God. It is the claim to be someone or something to be God that isn't God, or it's to insult God. And so when why they're saying blasphemy is because they're accusing, they're thinking that he's blaspheming people. Blaspheming God is because if he is not God, he can't forgive sins. The old, to forgive sins is to claim God to be God. And so if he is not God, he was committing blasphemy. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think in your hearts? For which do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, rise and walk. Now, you see in our piet, in our self-righteousness, people say, well, it's so much easier. What is easier to forgive someone's sins or uh, say, rise and walk? And we think, well, it's easier to forgive sins. Actually, if you follow what's going on here, actually, they're equally difficult. Well, you can say "Forgive your sins are forgiven, but actually have that forgiveness mean something is just as hard as making telling somebody who is paralyzed to get up and walk. The point is, the person who could do both of those things is the same person, God. And this is why, and so he says, But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. So when Jesus told the paralytic to get up, he was proving that he was God. And so he's proving to the scribes that is. And by the way, the title date um, that Jesus gives himself, the son of man, uh, he refers to himself in this manner many times. And where this comes from is Daniel chapter seven. So I'm going to begin at verse 13. It says, I saw in the night visions And behold, the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days as was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. So in other words, when Jesus called himself the son of man, and this became clear during his trial, He's claiming to be this guy in Daniel 7. He was claiming to be God. So, all right, so the Father's God. The Son is God. So Jesus is God. What about the Holy Spirit? Well, this is probably going to be the here's where probably the easiest route to go to. Is base let's see here. I gotta think of where to find it. So in the Gospels, Jesus is talks about the only unforgivable sin. And this is, so the place we're going to look for is Matthew chapter 12. It says, then, in a, this is chapter 12, verse 22. It says, then a demon oppressed man who was blind and mute, was brought to Jesus, and Jesus healed him. So that the man spoke and saw, and all the people were amazed and said, Can this be the son of David? But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, It is only by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, that this man cast out demons. Knowing their thoughts, he said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and no city or house divided against itself will stand. then indeed he may plunder his house. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Now here comes the key verse. Therefore I tell you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven people, but the blasphemy against the, Holy, against the Spirit will not be forgiven. And whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will be will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. So first off, we have to get through this idea that there are some that will teach the Holy Spirit is just an aspect of God or something like that. But the only problem is, is that the scriptures don't talk like that. Um, The scriptures talk about him as a helper. The scriptures talk about him as if he is a person. All right. So there's that first part. And Also, right there, he says you could commit blasphemy against him. Doesn't make sense that you could commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit and not God the Father, God the Son. You could commit blasphemy only against Him, but not the other two. That doesn't make sense unless the Holy Spirit is a second, another person, entirely different person. And by the way, blasphemy, as I just talked about. Blasphemy is specifically a sin against God. You can't blaspheme me. I can't blaspheme you. The only person that can be blasphemed is a God. And so to say that the Holy Spirit, you could commit blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, is a claim by Jesus himself that the Holy Spirit is God. All right, so the Father is God. The Holy Spirit, Jesus is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. Yet, and they are three different persons. We have this in the um, the baptism of Jesus. When Jesus is baptized, Jesus is there, obviously. And the Father says, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And at that same time, the Holy Spirit descends on them like that of a dove. Holy Spirit's there, the Father's there, the Son is there, yet they're three different persons, all right? Jesus, when he is on the cross, he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All right, so Jesus is God, right? He's on the cross, but he's saying that God has forsaken him. He's not saying he himself has forsaken himself. But God the Father has forsaken him. So the first person of the Trinity is at odds with the second person of the Trinity. Which, by the way, this gets you really into the um, grand nature of what's going on on the cross. So they're they're different persons. They're distinct from one another. And yet, Scripture says, the Lord your God is one. There is one God. And this gets reaffirmed in the New Testament. Let me look up First Corinth First Corinthians chapter eight. If my iPad behaves. Okay, so this is um, this is First Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5 and 6. It says, For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Which, by the way, um, Both of those are that verse; those two verses are very much reflected in the apostles and Nicene creeds. But notice the confession is: there is one God, the Father is God, Son is God, the Holy Spirit God, and yet there is not one God, but there is not three gods, but one God, and that is the complexity of the Trinity, and that is what the Athanasian Creed very largely is dealing with: is this complexity that there are. Three persons, yet there's one God. So this is what the creeds are about. It's confessing that there is a God and who he is. He is the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Not three gods, but one God. All right. Um, that's actually what Trinity means: three in one, and one in three. All right, that's what triune means. So he is the triune God, the Holy Trinity. Um we have one Sunday every year that's devoted to the doctrine of the Trinity, really, the Trinity Sunday, because that's really what it's about. It, major reason we celebrate it is to focus on the doctrine of the Trinity. And here's the thing is, is I just told you, what I just told you, that there are, about who the Trinity is, it doesn't make human sense. If you try to sit there and solve it. So how can the Father be God, the Son be God, the Holy Spirit God, and yet there not be... Um, three gods. They're distinctive. How can that be one God? It doesn't make sense. See, some people do the modalism thing. So, you know, it's, they'll say, like, it's like water. Water could be vapor or it could be ice or it could be liquid. No, that's modalism. It's all the same water. It's just different modes of the water. The Father is not a different mode. Jesus is not a mode of the Father. The Holy Spirit is not a mode of Jesus. They are three distinct persons, and that's shown in his baptism at Jesus's baptism because all three are present. They're not modalism, does not fly because if this was modalism, you could not see them all three at the same time. They'd be they Jesus would have to morph in and out or something. Um, so there's partialism where they kind of make Jesus into make make the triune God almost into uh, a transformer little bit of father, little bit of son, little bit of Holy Spirit, boom, you've got God. And, you know, with your powers combined, sorry, that's Captain Planet. But that's kind of where people go, this partialism thing. But again, baptism of Jesus, they're not parts in one another. They're three distinct. And yet they're one God. He's one God. He is one God. And, yeah, it blows the mind trying to figure out how this all works together. And so and you can't solve it. It is beyond human comprehension, beyond human understanding. And we shouldn't be surprised. If we could comprehend God, then he wouldn't be much of a God, would he? And so that's where we're going to end up for this video. The next video, I am going to talk about um, the first article of the Creed, and we're going to talk about creation and all the things that come along with that issue with that particular article of the creed. So blessings to you and see you in the next recording.